Hey, welcome back to the Lab Calling Podcast. It's me, Andrea, and we're with Sam. So much has been going on with COVID, the pandemic. Everybody is freaking out. There's so much going on that has changed, right? Absolutely. From the moment of transmission, how many people have actually become infected, to hospitalizations, to what we're supposed to do as lab techs, what's our role in this? I've heard so many different stories, social media, um, peer-to-peer, about how it's affected them mentally, emotionally, people looking you know, for new jobs or even students finishing up their education career, trying to get their license and their certification, what that means to them. And so it was a real, I guess, wild time for lack of a better word, because a lot of things have changed. A lot of people have been you know, flying by the seat of their pants, trying to figure out the best that they can do for the time. So we've, we have some things to talk about because we didn't want to completely kick out and not discuss COVID because there's literally a thousand things that we could talk about. And there's so many more formal avenues that you could discuss COVID. I know for me being a part of the Blood Bankers Association of New York State, they had an amazing virtual meeting this year about the COVID-19 challenges, especially in transfusion medicine. But I I know that pretty much any vendor, anybody who's been touched at all with the laboratory, they have been having webinars and Zoom meetings regarding, you know, what they've been able to do during this time, what they contributed towards the laboratory in general. Yeah, and I know in the laboratory medicine field, just talking with coworkers or just people who work in the field and other hospitals. We all have a lot of similar stories, but we all have different stories as well. You know, I know I've talked to people who worked in larger hospitals and people who worked in smaller hospitals and the way they do things is a little different, but a lot of it is the same too. So it's just really interesting to hear what people have to say about it from different standpoints. For people that are just starting in uh, the med tech field or finishing their schooling, a requirement for med tech is that you do rotations. You go into hospitals and you do your microbiology rotation. You do your blood banking, you do your hematology. That's really where you get your hands-on experience. There was a lot of uncertainty during that time in the program in the spring, especially because most people graduate in the spring, they're finishing up their, their rotations. And a lot of hospitals clamped down and were like, we're not allowing any unnecessary people into our facilities because of um, the exposure risk and transmission. I know that we work with somebody who actually teaches and is active in the medical technology program where we are, and she said her students in the spring semester did run into that. We have two pretty big medical organizations in the area that our med tech students go and rotate through, and I know one of them actually cut the students off and said that they couldn't come back to their rotations, and that was a huge stressor. But luckily, the other organization understood the importance of getting these students trained and out there working, and they actually took in all the students and figured out how to get them rotating and how to get them their hours so that they could get 
so they could graduate and um, get their New York State license. So that was really, really cool of them and important of them, and they realized that they needed to do that for us. I think once the initial shock of what's going yeah. on and, you know, trying to assess how this pandemic was going to go and how it was going to affect, you know, staffing levels and equipment. You know, we've all heard about the ventilators and the kits and stuff like that. But once they were able to assess, I guess, the damage of what's to come and what's actually happening in that point, that's when they were able to really kind of be more understanding and how are they going to work with these students and get them to where they need to be so they can be out there and contributing towards, you know, getting the lab testing done, being hired and um, really getting out there in the field. But I know that also it happened at such a crucial time, again, with the last year med tech students going on in rotations, but you also have the younger tech students who are still in their classrooms. They weren't able to go into the universities and do their hands-on learning in labs, which I think is super important, especially for this field that you get the hands-on learning and the hands-on doing. And I know the teacher that we work with um, was very frustrated by that. She had to physically do the labs on a video for the students to watch and then the students watch it and answer questions. And I mean, is that really a great way for these students to be learning the laboratory profession? I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see how they adapt. I think they'll be pretty resilient. You know, hopefully once you get the hand technique, you know, shaking those tubes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But that is another good concern to bring up is that not only are these techs now becoming eligible to be licensed and and be out there working in the community the the field but then there's also the big huge financial backlash that covid has caused on these big organizations hospitals and, and community health centers they had to stop doing Elective surgeries, those were stopped. Those are big money makers yep. for hospitals. Outpatient clinics. Outpatient clinics. Everything was really impacted. And that's Be- a huge way that these hospitals make money too, is these outpatient and elective surgeries. So we were definitely seeing how that was affecting us too. So now you have all this revenue that's being taken away from these corporations, these these uh, entities, these organizations. And now... What does this mean for staffing? Uh, but the lab has not been untouched. I know there's even oh, been n- yeah. nursing. Nursing, I've heard about, heard about nurses being laid off. Uh, so we hear this big call to action publicly on the news about, you know, nurses stepping up and, and the lab. I mean, not so much lab, but a little bit more so the lab. All these healthcare professionals stepping up to fight this pandemic healthcare heroes right Right. um so we've all been on the front lines everybody's been doing their part but what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of people or a good portion have been told stay home we can't afford you oh yes i mean not not exactly in that way but essentially by saying we need to combat this we need testing Mm -hmm. right you're trained and licensed to do this, but you're going to stay home right now because we need to save money. Yeah, and I mean, the workload, when they were starting to realize that the financial impact of this whole thing, the workload was starting to come up again. So, I mean, they're asking us to take a furlough, yet our workload is increasing. So we're just so confused as to how... That can happen, honestly. How can they afford to lose us 
doing our work just so that they can save some money. So, I mean, I know I have coworkers who were asked to be for, if they would, you know, stay home, take a two week furlough or whatnot. I have uh, peers at other facilities who their companies have put out emails asking for voluntary furlough as well. And they were just so confused because they can't, they know on the bench, they can't afford to lose people, but yet the administration's asking them to give up people. So it, it was just kind of a double standard going on. It's kind of walking the fine line of like patient care, exactly. patient safety, exactly. and, and financial management yep. for hospitals and stuff that require money from the government or local, yeah. state, or federal that, you know, that, that is a huge concern, right? But as lab techs, I feel like that's a huge stress because that is part of our ethics and morals and and that's part of our licenses that we have to do the best we can for patient care. And we're advocates as well for patient care. Oh, yeah. That was a big question. Like, how do you provide and be an advocate for patient care when financial and economics are playing a larger influence into whether you're going to have the proper staffing or not? What we've seen and heard and spoke with people about is that the lack of putting money and resources into hiring competent staff, trained staff, licensed staff to get proper results versus not hiring staff. People are being stressed out. It can lead to improper patient reports, wrong results. We've already heard that there's so many issues with false positives, false negatives, with these new kits that became available some, you know, that are on larger instruments like the Roche for COVID and not just the antigen testing, but also the antibody testing. So you have all these variables that cause problems, stress. You could be the the best tech in the world, but when you're stressed out and you're managing, you know, cross-matching patients for a trauma patient, and then you have to run and do a sed rate that's stat in the ER, <laughs> and then you have somebody calling you because they want their COVID results or a physician that's on the floor saying, I need convalescent plasma. Oh you know, it's, it's hard to juggle all these things. Yeah, and administration doesn't understand that, and, they, and nobody really understands that unless they're right there on the bench working and experiencing it, so... I mean, we were short-staffed before this whole COVID thing, let alone now where they're trying to short-staff us even more. So, I mean, and also we've had an issue with post job postings and, you know, our facility says that they will only go out of their way to post jobs for essential positions. And what they're deeming as essential, I think, is different than what we think is essential. And that's been a real issue as well. So everybody's been stressed out with uh, the whole pandemic. Another issue that keeps coming up is not only um, the low availability of testing resources, whether that's kits, which people had to adapt and, and make different kits and find other ways to test to see if you've been infected or had a previous infection of COVID. So when they started relying more on the antibody testing, I've read some reports how some people are using more antibody testing. Yeah, I mean, and that goes back to the whole convalescent plasma idea and how these people who are carrying these antibodies and who've, you know, had the the virus using those antibodies that they've made to help treat currently infected people. I mean, that's just been huge. And they've been kind of relying on that whole idea a lot for the treatment for these patients. So we're going to hear from some of our peers um, uh, that are out in the community, all different kinds of levels of facilities, small organizations, large organizations, hospitals, whatnot, 
that are going to give us some idea into what is the life of being a med tech during this pandemic, both professionally and personally, and what we've all been doing to help. I work in micro, and we still deal with COVIDs, even though that's not really micro. We are dealing with COVID just because the quantity is so high, we kind of have to. Yeah. Well, I've done like rapid flus and stuff like that, but I've never really, I've never done like full on micro. I've only done like the kits, you know, what instrumentation are you guys using? For the COVID, there's a couple different ones. I know one's called the Abbott and that's what they do in chemistry. And then the people in virology on day shift do Perk and Elmer runs. And then we put it on our Panther also. A Panther? Three different like methods. And every day when, like, I check the pending list, there's 2,000 samples pending. Oh, my gosh. 2,000? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's so bad. And so it's, like, the turnaround time is, like, basically two days. So now there's all these funny systems. There's, like, red dots that nurses are supposed to put on the bags if they want their samples done, like, right away. And then there's pink labels, which are ones that are important. And then there's... So it's called Tier 1 and Tier 3. I don't know why there's no Tier 2. But it's like Tier 1, hurry up and do it. Tier 3, it can wait for until the sample almost expires. And red dots, do it right away. Are you dealing with uh, samples that come from hospitals versus clinics versus from just, like, community collection sites? We get everywhere. Like, any sample we can take in, we take. Like, they take it from anywhere. Have you had any funny stories or what's your experience throughout this whole pandemic from beginning to current, I guess? Well, I know like in the beginning, like some sort of like plural fluid culture and they would say like, they would call us in an hour or two later and say the patient is suspected of having COVID. So then it was like an emergency. We would have to double bag the sample, put it under the acid fast hood in a special room. And it was like an emergency. Like we can't touch it. And now there's 200 samples on the counter and just chilling on the counter because it's a mess. Like, every night we get coolers and coolers full of these COVID samples. So they're, like, overflowing onto the counter. It's just a mess. <laughs> like, you can't avoid it. Everyone has to touch it in my lab because there's just so many. We have to help unpack them, and it's just a mess. Wow. Do you do you feel like the communication was good and that you felt prepared in what you needed to do um, in the lab? I mean, yes and no. So another thing is me and four other girls on my shift, we were the people who like actually like poured off the COVID samples all night. So we were like those chosen ones. And so we would have to communicate with the day shift before we kind of came in. And at first it was like our like virology people on day shift. And now it's chemistry people who we don't even know. And every day there's something new. Every day there's a new policy. Like it's just, it's a mess. Do you feel like that you are able to use any information with your facility as like educational so you felt aware of what was going on you know what you were doing and how it impacted the community in general yes and no i mean everyone kind of knows like about this coronavirus because it's so huge so we know how it's helping people we know basically like how it's an emergency we get phone calls all the time like people want their samples people want their samples and it's just a mess it's like we want to help as many people as possible but when there's 2,000 samples on the pending list, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah it's, and, that sounds uh, really stressful. Have you awful. <laughs> have, have you done anything to help alleviate the stress for yourself? Have you found any ways to try to, like, manage your time or stress or, you know, like, anxiousness about it? 
think it helps that I'm not over in COVID every single night. And honestly, what we do what we can when we're over there. They give us a lot of tasks, but we just do what we can, and they kind of know that. Mm-hmm. And I honestly feel like I do work, like, quicker, so I can get a lot done. And I do try to honor all, like, the samples. Like, if people call and say there's a surgery tomorrow and they forgot to put on a red dot or they didn't know they had to, like, we go and pull them, and I'll put it on the Panther, which gets it done in, like, four hours. Well, that's kind of cool. I mean, I, I, I know I, I know I, you guys are busting your butt. I yeah. I question, too. So did you guys – were you guys protected PPE-wise pretty well? Yeah, I'd say we were. I mean, we always had the N95s, and they want us to wear the N95s when we're working with COVIDs. So I feel like we are, although to be honest, like, I know we're, like, starting to run out of stuff. Like, I think we're out of, run out of small gloves recently in lab posts. Yeah. We kind of ran out of, and I think that's everywhere, though. It's kind of scary to think, like, what's going to happen when we don't have gloves or proper, like, lab coats. Yeah. And I just feel like more often than not, when I'm unpacking those samples under the hood and trying to pour them off into tubes, I'm getting a lot of leaky ones. Okay, so now this coronavirus is all over my gloves, all over my hood. It just makes me mad that people aren't careful when they put on the caps. Like, they don't put them on all the way, or they put them on crooked. And it's, no one cares on that end, I feel like. It bothers me. Do you feel like you have to cancel specimens because they're not packaged properly? Like, you know, the people that are collecting it are not screwing on the tops right? There's been a couple where we did. I mean, sometimes if the liquid's still in the bag, I do try to save as much as I can because I feel bad. These people have to get their stuff recollect. They just say, you know, like, we're stressed over here. We kind of want more people to rotate through the COVIDs because at first, you know, hazard pay, so only five of us were doing it, and now there's no hazard pay, so we kind of want more people to rotate through COVIDs because it's stressful when you're over there all night. It must feel like it's literally never ending. You finally accomplish oh, yeah. a large batch and then pretty much it just keeps it dumping on you. It's like a hamster wheel. You just keep going. If you could ideally have something that would advocate for lab techs, what do you think would be a good way to do that? I just wish they threw it out there everywhere. Like, you know, like the whole thing, like billboards, TV, everywhere. Because people are constantly saying, like, thank you, doctors and nurses. And it's like, yeah. they don't even understand what we do. They think we're point-of-care tests only, I think. Or, or the nurses and the doctors are the ones that run the testing. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Can you yeah. just quickly walk us through from the beginning of getting a test to how they get the results out there? I think people would be interested to know like what it actually entails. Like you said, it's not just an instrument. You just don't put a push a button and call it a day. So the main thing we do on COVID, I'd say, is when we pour off for that Abbott instrument upstairs. So in general, the Abbott instrument, that's a chemistry test. And so what we have to do is you have to take it the tube, and it's about like three milliliters on average, and you have to vortex it, then open it, take and pour off 1.5 milliliters. And it's those, like, plastic pipettes, so it's not just, like, one drop. It's, like, one and a – oh, no, it's 1.25 now we do. It changed. So now it's, like, two draws up per sample, and you have to put it in and throw out the pipette and put the cap on. And if your gloves have any liquid, you have to change them, and they want you to change gloves every five samples. And it's just you're sitting under a hood for the whole shift, and my neck hurts so bad at the end of every shift. And then we have to heat bath them. And, of course, our heat bath is in the AFB room, so we have to go into the mycology room first, wash our hands, put on a whole new lab coat and a 95, and then go into the acid fast room just to put these samples in a heat bath in, like, another hood. And then you have to, like, clean off every hood with the bleach, the water, the alcohol. And then you have to re-take off. You know, you have to rewash your hands just to leave the room, then rewash your hands again just to take it off and go out. 
And then 30 minutes later, you just have to go back in. And, <laughs> and then upstairs, they put it on the instrument, which is nice. But so it's, you, it's a lot of work for, so, ni- for no, 94 samples, that is. So that's a lot of wow. – that's just the prep work. Awful. What I kept hearing is how many boxes of gloves that you probably go through in, like, a day or two. Now we're using these gloves that are too big. And I thank you so much for joining us and giving us your story and just your experience in general. And as always, we appreciate you here at the Lab Calling Podcast. Thank you. Do you have any stories that are either funny or what has been your experience during this whole pandemic? It could either be personal or even just things that you've seen in either your hospital or your organization. Well, first of all, I'm, I have to say I'm kind of impressed mainly with how fast things moved. You know, once the technology became available for testing, how fast we were able to get the test, you know, like the FDA was able to quicken the validation of the test, like based on our whole hospital system validation that they were able to do where we all compiled our results for validation in order to get it passed so that we could start running patients. So that was like the biggest bonus is how quickly we got it. The biggest downfall is how much was unknown. I I don't work in micro and we were responsible for doing testing on non-administrative hours. So, you know, we were taught how to use a hood and, you know, the proper sterilization for all of that, you know, yeah. make sure we change our gloves and do all this other stuff that we've never done before. And we're, we're just used to dealing with blood samples. So, you know, it was a little scary, mainly because it was something new, very different from what we're used to, mm-hmm. where other people who already work in micro, like we have a friend who works in micro, she, she probably thought it was easy peasy. Do you feel like that you were, like communication was good and that you were set up well to do a good job? Okay, yeah. I think once we had all of our resources, yes. But in the beginning, it was tough. Like, even with, like, in the beginning with the whole mask shortage and everything, like, we were the ones who were not considered important. So, you know, it was all the nurses and the people who were dealing with the patients directly that were getting all of, you know, the masks and the PPE that they needed. We were kind of the afterthought. So, you know, even if we brought our own masks in, we were told not to wear them because if a nurse saw us wearing it in the hall, they should have it, not us. Um, So I think that was the biggest thing that was kind of a scare when we all should be protected, no matter if we're a janitor, you know, cleaning up the biohazard waste or whatever, whoever's involved, you know, if they had the resources themselves, they could use them. So have you have you done anything differently during this pandemic about, you know, that created more stress or how you were able to deal with, you know, these uncertainties and things that we just didn't know at the time? Yeah, so I think. In the beginning, I was very scared, you know, like I, I still kind of wear my own work shoes and leave those either outside the house or in my locker at work. You know, I change them as soon as I get out of the lab. But in terms of like regular protection, like I still think I treat everything the same, you know, with being cautious. The only thing is, I think I'm where we had safety shields and stuff where you would normally like pop tubes and, you know, caps off tubes and stuff. I think I use those more often than I was before. You know, because you weren't as nervous. You just kind of point the tube in a different direction and pop the cap. But now, you know, they're thinking, oh, it could be in blood. It could not be in blood. You yeah. know, 2% chance of contracting it. So I think with that, I'm being a little more cautious, smart with what, how I was handling samples that I didn't have to worry as much. It was mostly like setting up the COVID tests is kind of what makes the reality set in. When you get a positive, like my first, my first COVID 
that I set up was positive. You have those moments where you just kind of question everything, and then sometimes it's kind of a, a mix. Like, I kind of feel comfortable, kind of don't, you know, more comfortable, I guess. Do you, yeah. do you feel like there was any extra pressure for you to get the testing done quickly and oh, get the results definitely, out? Definitely, definitely. Oh, my gosh. It's even gotten worse now because, you know, once doctors find out that we have certain tests available, they oh, feel yeah. their patients are way more important than others. Even though we have our own protocol, how we're supposed to do testing, we have our own priorities. Like blood bank always takes precedence over everything else. If I have a blood bank sample and someone needs blood, yeah. that's supposed to come first no matter what. But, you know, a lot of the doctors in the ER or, you know, most of most of the COVID testing we do is for admitting patients. So all of them usually come from the ER. But as soon as doctors on the floors heard that we have COVID testing, if they wanted to move a patient out of a bed or if they want to discharge them like four days from now, they say, well, we need this stat. And, you know, you really don't need a stat. If they're not being discharged for four or five days, it can wait until the morning when micro comes in and they have more staff, you know, yeah. right now. On my shift, we only have one person setting up those tests, and the other person is over in the core lab. You know, it's kind of hard to balance all of those tasks with two people when there's only one person who's doing blood bank and COVID testing. So it sounds so, like they it's it's difficult to prioritize the tests. You know, like which yeah. patient, not to say which patient deserves to be, you know, get the results out first, but really kind of like, I guess, triage who's going first. And, right, but, right. I, but not to mention, oh, sorry. No, it's okay. No, I was ahead. just going to say that I've, I've heard, you know, that's been a concern for a lot of people is that these um, healthcare providers, you know, are really worried because they do have to get people out in order to free up beds as a resource. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a quick question. What Now, what is your approximate turnaround time for COVID tests? on non-administrative hours, it takes a little bit longer. So although the doctors know it's an hour test, sometimes they call us at 60 minutes expecting us to have that 60 minute turnaround time. Yeah. We pretty much tell them it's impossible because you know we have what's called a COVID phone and it's a cell phone that we carry around in our pocket and a doctor is supposed to know that they call that phone when they're admitting a patient and we're supposed to know to set up that patient as soon as we get it. Wow. But if you have other things going on, that doesn't always happen. And I have to say, probably it's only happened once or twice, you know, where nothing's going on when that sample arrives. So we're supposed to aim for an hour. I don't think I've ever resulted one within an hour. And we're allowed to tell the nurses and the doctors there's no way it's going to be done that soon. You know, expect another hour delay. Expect another two-hour delay. It's just not possible. Do you feel like you had enough staff to get out the results in a timely fashion? I think we're making do. Like you guys know, the ER can be dead or it can be booming, you know, from day to day. So it all depends on how many people come through the ER and how many people are admitted. There have been weekends I've worked where we've only had one COVID test that we set up. There's been other weekends where my coworkers have had 12 that they've had to set up, you know. So I feel like staffing-wise, it's hard to judge if we would need more people because you just never know. Is there anything different that you want to see for med techs out in the general community? Honestly, I'm thinking more of an education standpoint. Like, I feel like universities should advertise the programs more. Yeah. You know, they shouldn't push meds. They stress nursing school and they stress medical school. If you like medicine and go to biomedical sciences as your undergrad and then apply to med school, nowhere do they say, oh, well, we have this great, you know, four-year program that you pretty much learn medicine, the chemical part of it and the physiological part of it. 
um, and you actually get to do hands-on testing. And, you know, I don't remember them ever pointed me to that program, but I don't think I ever would have found it on my own. No, I had no no idea about med tech. I went to, um, you know, I got my bachelor's. And in biology, and I had no idea. Even even when I got the job where I am now as a processor, I still didn't know what it meant, you know. And then yeah. I had to do research on my own. But yeah, when when you're in high school, when you're even in the beginning with your um, advisor in college, most people don't know about med tech as an actual program. If there's anything that you can ever, you know, give us that would be helpful so we can advocate for lab, anything with the lab, I'd appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for making it. So my experience, I guess, over time has changed, obviously, in the beginning, around, you know, March and April, when everything first started, there was a lot of uncertainty Um, you know, in your personal life and in your professional life. Uh, In the lab, we didn't really know much about anything. We didn't know how easily transmissible coronavirus was. We weren't sure if it was living on surfaces. We weren't sure if it was, um, there was just so many things to think about and so many questions that we had that we didn't have answers to. So I'd say, obviously, in the beginning, it was the most stressful and the most concerning And then over time, you know, as we started to understand a little bit more, your worry goes down a little bit less. Um, But there's still obviously, you know, universal precautions had to be taken. And we just, I feel like especially my lab went above and beyond and really did a great job protecting us. And we actually did a really great job of working as a team and thinking things through. I remember thinking we're obviously getting these, these new tests and having to, you know, transfer them, you know, from the patient to the lab. And then also we had to think about other samples too. So there's other nasopharyngeal samples that are taken, including sputum, throats. So we had to kind of think quick, you know, we're setting these up under the biological safety hood, but also we're bringing the gram stains out and putting them on the slide warmer. We're reading the plates. So there was just a whole bunch of things that we had to to think about and kind of like in real time, real life, make decisions and try to come up with the the safest way to do things. And um, that's not even including all the stress of the testing of the samples themselves. Do you feel like that communication really helped you guys along to be successful? Yeah. And of course, you know, there were some balls dropped here and there, which is to be um, expected because you know, you're working with, with the physicians, with the ER, with management of the lab, with the, you know, with us in the lab, especially I work an off shift. Yeah. I work second shift and I work um, by myself. So there was definitely some communication that was missed. But overall, I think it was handled pretty well. And I think that we did a really good job. Things are still changing. We're still sending tests to different facilities. We're, we're, things are constantly evolving. Communication is definitely important. I feel like that's kind of been a lot, you know, for everybody that it's so fluid and constantly changing, you know. And it's really good to hear that your lab was able to adapt so quickly and keep you guys informed and, and felt like you could make the best decisions while you're at work. Mm-hmm. How did you have any issues with time management between you know everything being so busy and did any of that stress or uh, time management issues spill out into your personal life 
Yeah, I would say so for sure. I've definitely never been busier at work in my life than these past six months. And it is stressful and it does ebb over a little bit into personal life. I do think I work part-time. I want to give a big shout out to full-time employees. I I feel like having that break of, of not working full-time has been very helpful to me personally to be able to recharge in between shifts. Have you adopted any new strategies to help you? You know, like I know it's so stressful even mentally because everything is the unknown and things are changing like policies and even FDA, CDC requirements. What are you supposed to do when you do show up at work? Have you adopted any new practices to that help you feel good about going to work and that you are safe that you personally have done? I feel like in the beginning we were all doing the survive. We were in survival mode, you know, taking it day by day. But that's really all you can do is take it day by day and just try to do the best that you can do for the patient and while also keeping yourself sane. But I just, I feel like it's important to me personally always to do things to reduce stress, you know, and also make sure that you're keeping your immune system boosted. Like I said before, we're, we, we utilize PPE and work under the biological safety hood and everything, but it's always important to make sure that you're getting enough sleep and exercising and eating healthy, you know, taking care of yourself That's in all the ways. Were you nervous at all about bringing the virus back home to your family? Oh, yes, of course, for sure. In the beginning, it was very nerve-wracking. I have uh, a tenant also who's a PA in the ER in a local hospital, so we have a COVID corner in our basement (laughs) (laughs) where we come home. Yeah, we come home and we, you know, take our scrubs off and we have a change of clothes and different shoes, so we were leaving all of our stuff in this corner in our basement because we just were so uncertain of, how transmissible it was in the beginning. So that was kind of our how we handled that. I think that was a big concern for a lot of healthcare workers, especially was bringing it home to their families because you go to work, you're exposed to it in ways you don't even know. And bringing it home, you don't want to infect anybody in your family. So it's interesting. I've, I've heard of those COVID corners before. It's literally the corner of our basement. We have like bathrobes hung up and crocs, like clean crocs, house crocs. So when we come home from work, we just... <laughs> did you get Did you get your free crocs? I, I heard uh, crocs were giving out free crocs to uh, healthcare workers. Yes, they were. And I did get myself a pair and I am obsessed. It was the best marketing they could do because... My husband bought himself a pair because he was wearing mine. And I was like, no, those are mine. Um, (laughs) And I've been referring people like crazy. I probably have three or four friends that have bought Crocs since I've gotten mine. So (laughs) I appreciate the free Crocs, but it was also very good marketing on their part. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. How long you'll be there. I think people could relate to that. Well, I appreciate you uh, speaking with us so much. And it's really good to hear different ways that people cope and different ways that people have managed through all this. I do think, you know, just in a lot of ways, we are overlooked sometimes. And it's easy to do because generally people don't know about us and we're kind of tucked away. I know at our facility, we're like in a dark hallway down, like where nobody goes. (laughs) So it's easy to forget about us, but we are an essential part of the process. And I appreciate you guys taking the time to make this podcast so people will have more awareness about it. At the height of this whole pandemic, um, I was actually on vacation on a cruise in the Caribbean and 
I was literally on the cruise watching this whole thing unfold in the States. And I was like, I did not know what to expect when I came home. I mean, we were stuck on the ship an extra two days because we weren't allowed to in our port in Puerto Rico. So we had to sail to Miami. And, you know, I, when I was coming back to work, people were asking me, you know, do you have to quarantine this and that? And I asked the hospital administration and they said, no, you have to report back to work. And so I came back, I met with employee health. They asked me a couple questions. Do I have a cough, fever? I said, no. They showed me how New York State has a special set of rules for healthcare workers that they don't have to self-quarantine um, unless they're actively symptomatic. So I just went right back to work afterwards. And I just thought it was interesting, especially when it was right at the height of the whole thing. You'd think people would want to be a little more careful. But again, being a healthcare worker kind of comes with the territory. You, You have to go above and beyond. You understand the risks that are associated with your trade per se. And, um, you just kind of have to go with it. Our experience as healthcare workers during this whole pandemic has been pretty unique, I think. Yeah, I think that is one of the things that we wanted to do with this podcast as well, is really to try to have an informal uh, arena to talk about, you know, being a lab tech, your experience, and how to, um, you know, navigate this without being so formal. You know, it's a, it's a place that you can you can discuss these topics without having to put a full PowerPoint presentation and be... Yeah, and I mean, the media has a lot to say about the whole thing. So this is a very stressful time, and, and we're hearing all these different stories, and it's really great to hear about some resilience within certain labs, as, even though people are very stressed out emotionally, physically, mentally. At our next podcast, we were very lucky to speak with Dr. Gary Damon, so you'll have to listen to us, our next podcast, about how to deal with stress and how to be your best self in the workplace and throughout the your situation that you present into. So you're going to have to definitely listen to that. We got some exclusives in there. It's fantastic. You can find us on Facebook or Insta at Lab Calling Podcast. You can listen to us on any platform. We have eight currently, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public. You can email us at labcallingpodcast at gmail.com as well as we can DM us on Facebook or Instagram. We want to hear from you.